Welcome, welcome, welcome. You guys ready to party? I said, are you ready to party? I need to know if I can start the party. You know what? Start the party. Did Michael give you permission to do this? Start the party. So as we all know, that I'm I'm the host of this podcast. Right. But, I mean, you're the host, but I'm the assistant host. Uh, assistant to the host. Right, the assistant host. And assistant to the host, it's a... It's well, a lower position. Well, I mean, I don't. I don't think. I think we should both be hosts. Why? Why do you say that? Well, we both have a microphone. Uh huh. We both speak equally. I think it's kind of selfish of you to think that you are the host, and I'm just an assistant to the host. Well, I don't know. When you really think about it, it's like I'm the one who has all the technology. Like I edit the podcast, so clearly I have higher up. You you only make the thumbnail, so it's just kind of. Mm-hmm. I I feel like I'm more qualified to be the host, and you're more qualified to be assistant to the host. Well, okay, this is true. I think you take on maybe some more responsibilities than me, but I I am also contributing. I'm not just... I uh, Here's what I think. I think mm-hmm. let's just agree that I am assistant to the... Or no, I'm assistant host. I see, I see what you did there. You, you already gave up your title because you are assistant to the host. No, yes. that's not what happened. Yes. That's not what happened. Yes, that's exactly what happened. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> so, assistant host. Agree to disagree. <laughs> so, today we're talking about the Alliance. The Alliance. Which is... I think it's a very Dwight-heavy episode. It is. We get a lot more insight into his character, I mm-hmm. feel like. Um, which is weird because... We haven't written down a whole lot about what he does in this episode because mm-hmm. it's not it's not super, I guess, insightful. Yeah. It's more just this is what he's becoming. <laughs> yeah, and I had a lot of questions raised about Dwight uh-huh. in this episode, though. Especially, he was he seems to be the most concerned about. The downsizing yeah and he seems most threatened about being fired yeah which is really surprising to me i mean that's what they open with mm-hmm. which is i don't know i found it very interesting how he needs validation from michael on his position in the company and if he's for sure going to stay because he feels like he is but he needs the validation to make sure i could see that yeah i mean that's basically what he asked in the opening of the episode is he abruptly assaults michael as he gets out of the bathroom and it's just like (laughs) so with the downsizing i'm not getting let go right there's not gonna be downsizing dwight (laughs) 
But it's weird that he's so... I still think it's weird. I understand that he needs validation, but if we look at it objectively, he probably is the top salesman. Yeah. And he devotes majority of his life to the company. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just weird that he want that he is afraid that he's going to be fired. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I don't know. It almost makes you think that he puts on this facade of I'm very secure in my position and I know exactly what I'm doing, but it reveals a bit more of an insecurity that even when he is doing everything that he possibly can, even more than he probably should, Mm -hmm. he still feels like he's not doing enough. Yeah, he doesn't feel like he's quite good enough. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is weird. It's so weird to analyze their characters. And yeah. when you look for character flaws that they have, they become obvious. Yeah. But it's only when you look at them. Because I never realized anything like that about Dwight. Because he's always yeah. seemed so sure of himself. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have guessed that he would be insecure. Especially about something that he seems so confident about. Yeah. I think starting this podcast has made me because we're analyzing it so much it's definitely a realization of exactly how in-depth these characters are even with just the smallest inklings of something lying beneath yeah it's so weird and it's it's like a hint of something Mm -hmm. or a whisper there's not there's nothing pointing to it Uh and granted we could be making the wrong judgment in our analysis but from our conversations and sort of the evidence we point to, mm. they're fairly validated. Yeah. But it's weird because with this one, with Dwight, it doesn't, there's not a lot of evidence that suggests to it in other circumstances. Right. Because I think we've talked about this before. The first season is very much they're working on their characters and are not fully fleshed out. True. Except for michael ish and jim and pam i feel like those are the three main ones that are they have an idea set for who they are it seems like they have the most foundation set yeah i think the only thing that really changes with michael's personality at least until he meets people that push him to be different is just how he looks because Mm -hmm. they had a certain idea and then they wanted to change it right um But yeah, with this Dwight scenario of him showing a sense of um, weakness in his job is very, I don't know. Because I'm thinking of ideas of when he's been weak, and that's mostly when Angela has broken up with him. True. He has like that kind of weakness to him on an emotional level, but... I can't think of a lot of instances where it's a job insecurity. Except maybe like when Michael's gone and then Charles in charge. Oh, that's true. And he doesn't know his footing anymore because he had this very... He almost had his identity all set out. Yeah. But it shifted a lot once 
Michael wasn't in the office anymore. Yeah. So it almost makes me wonder if Dwight's more curious about Michael's position. Mm-hmm. Because if Michael's out of the picture... What does that mean for Dwight? Yeah. That's a good thing to point out. Because it does seem like Dwight's identity is based on Michael. Mm-hmm. Not in every way, but yeah, a lot of it, especially his work life. Yeah, He's sort of filled in all the empty spaces in Michael's character. Yeah. Because the only reason he would be concerned about it is if he's not going to be the next manager. Because mm-hmm. that's the only time when he's been okay with Michael being gone. But even then, it's almost michael still needs to be here but i want to be in charge instead of him yeah it's weird i think that might be this fear of the downsizing is probably related to his fear of losing his identity if he didn't work there yeah because so much of his life revolves around dunder mifflin Mm -hmm. and michael that if that was taken away from him he'd probably be severely depressed and wouldn't know who he was anymore Uh because you think of when he can't remember what episode it is but when dwight leaves and works at staples Mm -hmm. instead it does feel like he's lost a lot of what he's built his life around yeah um because he has to wear a different kind of uniform and the co-workers that he's talking to just like he doesn't have any kind of connection with them, whether it's negative or positive. It's just very mundane and dull. Um, and yeah, so I think it's not really his insecurity of the job itself, but the insecurity of the company and that it's not as strong as he wanted it to be or worked for it to be um and i don't know it is odd that it comes off as him not feeling good enough in a way where i don't want to say he like blames himself for the company lacking but maybe just that his branch in general yeah maybe he takes it personally yeah yeah, because that's the other thing about Dwight. He is almost like a ghost manager mm-hmm. because Michael does give him a lot of responsibilities yeah. just without any of the titles uh-huh. because anything that Michael thinks would make the other employees angry towards him, he just shoves it off to Dwight. Yeah. But I think a lot of that would be major responsibilities of a manager, you know? Uh-huh. It would involve a lot of tasks that you as a manager would have to do. Yeah, if you think about it, they've had two managers this entire time. And even when they get Jim and Michael to both be managers, Mm -hmm. it's like they've already had two managers. So true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they really just made three. Yeah. (laughs) They made Jim a manager. The trifecta. (laughs) But that also makes me think of, I feel like not only Dwight is scared of being out of the loop, but also Michael is. Mm. So they're very, they have this yin-yang complexity to them where they both 
have kind of the same drive, but it leads them in different directions where Michael wants to be very rich and be able to leave this job someday and be very charitable and right. just loving and donate a hospital wing. Yeah. And Dwight, on the other hand, is someone who is very, he's already kind of a rich man. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet his only drive is just making this company that he's working for better. Um, and Michael doesn't exactly care if the company fails or not, but as long as I think it just kind of goes hand in hand with his goals that the company does need to succeed for him to be a successful man. Right. Um, I can see that. I think also a part of that is Michael, he may not be completely concerned about the success of the branch, but he's certainly concerned about his employees yeah, and their well-being. That's the thing. That's he cares more about that. I think Dwight is more concerned with the infrastructure yeah. of the company and like the numbers. Mm-hmm. So I also had another thought while you were saying that that Dwight might be this concerned because Michael isn't obvious that he's concerned, mm-hmm. but he's clearly concerned about the branch. Yeah. And it, he's he's not so concerned about the actual branch but the people inside of it and i think dwight sees that but he thinks that it's about the numbers Mm -hmm. and making sure that they don't downsize at all yeah i agree and yeah i just wanted to lead into that with uh dwight moving the water cooler Uh towards him yeah um because it's another very dwight moment where he takes his own water bottle to work so he doesn't need he's self-sufficient yeah (laughs) um but it's it's weird because i kind of relate to him on this level where he wants to be in the know of everything he wants to be included in conversations but no one does because he's not very approachable and he doesn't hang out by the water cooler right (laughs) um and I don't know. It's just, I find it so intriguing how he just moves the water cooler closer to him just to be, because I think he wants to be more like Michael where he actually cares about these people, but he's just not in tune with that part of everything. Yeah, I think so. And I took note of that, him moving the water cooler because it gives a lot of insight into his character yeah because he's willing to manipulate his environment Mm -hmm. so that it will benefit him whereas i mean we've talked about this with jim a lot but jim wouldn't do something like that he would either just stay at his desk or try to approach them but dwight is willing to you know manipulate his surroundings so that he can get the most out of it yeah yeah, because with people like Jim, he's he's a very, I wouldn't say he's super extroverted, but he definitely has like an approachable yeah. personality and he's not afraid to approach his coworkers because he's been there long mm-hmm. enough to know, even if it's just mundane conversation, like when they're talking about sandwiches and <laughs> bread and all that, like they still have 
what seems like an intriguing conversation, at least for uh-huh. a small blip in time. They have really good bread. <laughs> Their bread is very good. <laughs> <laughs> is that pastrami? And I guess since we're talking about that scene, I just wanted to go over uh, Kevin as well. Mm-hmm. Just uh, it's it's not a whole. I don't know. I just want to bring up Kevin just to document his mental. Yeah, just kind of track his progress. Yeah. Um, and I don't know it. There's still nothing that really gives off a idiotic yeah. personality yet. That's true. Um, there's not much I have to add on that, but I don't know. It's, yeah, it's just, it's still mind-boggling to me how much it changes. Um, it is. Yeah. And, yeah, he still has sort of this identity of a, an average Joe, sort mm-hmm. of. Yeah, but is so. definitely competent, mm-hmm. which again it goes away, yeah. and who knows where that goes. Yeah. Uh, I also I wonder why Dwight asks Jim to be in an alliance. Yeah, I kind of it just seems out of character. I agree. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of because he knows what Jim does, and he even has like an um an interview off time with the camera mm-hmm. where he's saying do I trust Jim? Yeah, like <laughs> just all that and it's I I can't think because you'd say he'd alliance with Michael, but I think he also has just a little underlying thought of conspiracy where Michael is involved with corporate and so he has to keep things on the down low so I'd think he'd go more towards Ryan yeah it does seem like he would approach Ryan because I because he doesn't like Ryan all that much and in a later season Dwight and Ryan do like a little alliance thing um, but I think, I guess it's not really showcased yet, but Michael does have an affinity towards Ryan. So I feel like Dwight would want to use that to his advantage That's so true. Ryan could get information out of Michael. Yeah, you could be in good graces with Michael's favorite. Yeah. So if you're tied to Michael's favorite, your chances of being let go are a lot less. I. I'm now thinking maybe that is why he chose Jim because Ryan hasn't really been established as that yet. So what if Jim Jim was Ryan, like the Ryan type before Ryan Mm -hmm. came in? Yeah, that's the only thing that I can really pinpoint because obviously Dwight doesn't say, you know, you should go talk to Michael about all these stuff. But I feel like he has this weird, I don't know, diagram of so... Jim is kind of Michael's favorite and Pam has information and Jim talks to Pam all oh, the time. Yeah, that's true. Um, that would make more sense if... Yeah, and I mean, we don't really see all of the information that Dwight wants Jim to... Like, who he wants Jim to approach. But I think that is also another aspect is Jim is very approachable. 
Um, and not a lot of the other people in the office are because if I'm thinking about it, the only like approachable person is Michael, but you like most people don't even want to approach him. Right. <laughs> um, mostly he approaches other people. Um, cause everyone else in the office is very subdued and, and they would probably say no. Yeah. If he asked them. And obviously the relationship between Dwight and Angela hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah, I think it's mostly just an elimination aspect. And he's just like, well, I know Jim is the worst and he'll probably use this against me. But what other choice do yeah. I have? It's the only option. Um, I see him back at Shrew Farms just calculating this on a big whiteboard, <laughs> just trying to figure out. Moses sitting in the corner and he's <laughs> yeah. like talking to him through it. Yeah. <laughs> but the only thing I found of maybe why Dwight chose Jim mm-hmm. is at the end, I think he's the last one being interviewed with his hair bleach blonde. That's like the last interview with uh-huh. Dwight of the episode. And he says, get what you can out of someone and then crush them. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just, I, the only thing I was mostly confused about is what is he getting out of Jim mm-hmm. in that? Maybe his main motivation was to get information through Pam. Yeah. Maybe. What if he pre-calculated this entire episode and he knew exactly what would happen? <laughs> he knew that Jim would take it too far. And then Roy. That's would... true, yeah. What if, oh my I gosh, what if, what if Dwight told Jim like right before five and then he knew that Jim would approach Pam and Roy would come upstairs. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That'd be funny. Maybe Dwight does get back at Jim. Yeah. But just in crazy Cause I'm, ways. Because if you think about it, I feel like an office is very patternized where things happen at a almost timely basis on the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. So, and we know Roy comes up often, right. um, either for lunch or to pick, pick her up, up yeah. pick her up after work. So I'm, <laughs> I just, I love this thought of Dwight pre-calculated this entire episode. This is a great conspiracy theory. <laughs> what, yeah, like what if through the whole show, Dwight was always trying to calculate on how to get back at Jim yeah. and he recognizes the pettiness of Jim's pranks oh, no. and he just want, he wants to actually get back at Jim yeah. to actually attack his life. Anyway, Um, when Dwight's asking Jim why he's talking to Pam, it's this very, I kind of viewed it as Jim explaining himself to Dwight about being around Pam. Mm -hmm. It's also giving an excuse to himself. And he's like, we're going to be chatting and giggling. I just need to ignore it. The more I'm thinking about like this conspiracy of the whole thing, it just. I don't know, just Dwight being like, I know Jim's going to approach Pam because I, I've i seen them chatting and giggling. Like, I know. And he probably knows that Jim's going to tell Pam. Because mm-hmm. I feel like the entire office kind of has an inkling of Jim's uh, 
real intentions towards Pam. Mm-hmm. Because no one else really talks to each other. Yeah, it's probably pretty obvious. Yeah. Especially if you're just sitting there trying to get through your nine to five mm-hmm. and you're zoned out to everything else. But something that doesn't happen very often in your environment is happening where yeah. two people are really clicking and getting along. Yeah. You would have to notice that. Mm-hmm. It's such yeah. a small office that there's no way <laughs> that anyone's ignoring that. And I feel like we should talk about Pam's awareness of this as well now. Because. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, like, everyone in the office, maybe besides Michael, knows exactly what's going on. Yeah. But, I don't know. Pam can't be that unaware. Yeah, I just, I would imagine she has to know that her and Jim are flirting. Mm -hmm. She has to be, she has to know that they're not just friends. Yeah. That there's something more. Yeah. There are deeper feelings there. Because, I don't know, there's not many instances where you click so well with someone and it doesn't lead to stronger feelings. Right. Like, it's not even, oh, it's because they're a guy and a girl. It's just because, like anyone in your life, it's if you click so well with yeah, someone. Such... Yeah. Like, how can you not be aware of what's actually going on? Right. And you can't, like, if you have natural chemistry with someone, it's hard not to be attracted to them. Yeah, yeah. That's just a natural thing that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you, Pam has to know, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she knows, but it's a thought that she has that she tries not to address. Yeah. And sort of keeps it in the back of her mind instead of acknowledging that it's there yeah because we've talked about how passive they are Mm -hmm. and i don't know i've i've not been in like the same situation but i've been in a situation where i've been in a relationship with someone and then it kind of feels faded Mm -hmm. and then i'm interested in this other person that it feels like it's either just a new flirtatious feeling or you know it's something that like actual sparks right like those are the two instances where you question the relationship that you're in to go with another person and i just i don't know you i think it's a thought that keeps her awake at night yeah i was thinking the same thing that has to be i bet jim is the last person she thinks about before she goes to sleep yeah because when you're faced with a situation like that, it's either, okay, I can keep being in this relationship that I'm with, but there's this other person that brings me a lot more happiness. And it's not that there's not happiness in the relationship she's in, because you see like little moments where they're having like a real, like, they're a real couple. But, yeah, just, like, the overlying fact of, you know, they just don't. (laughs) Roy and Pam are very passive in their relationship Mm -hmm. because they haven't settled on a date and they don't talk about, like, actually doing that. Yeah. (laughs) They're just like, well, well, we'll just be engaged forever. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's weird. I, I might disagree a little bit with, I don't know how passive Roy is. I don't know, but he's he, a lot more aggressive mm -hmm. in what he's interested in. But when it, he, I just don't think he's a very romantic type, at least not yeah. with Pam. Yeah, I can see that. Because he has, in the later season, we know that he has a romantic side to him. But you need the right person for that mm -hmm. thing to come out. So True. I feel like the romance with Pam is just almost non-existent. That he doesn't have... He's very passive in the romantic side of things, even if it's just something as simple as this is the day we're getting married. I think even the thought of all of like all the romanticized part of marriage and planning the wedding and all of that is just too much romance for him, even if it it's very a meticulous thing that you have to do. But I don't know. Because I agree that he's very aggressive in a lot of situations. And there, there's something I noticed in this episode when he sees Jim and Pam like holding hands. Mm -hmm. And I never really noticed, but he is almost controlling. I wonder if he has some kind of like that controlling aspect to his personality. Because like obviously he's angry. Yeah. But then he says, come on, Pam, let's go. Like, Or he says... He tells her to go to the car. Yeah, he says, go to the car. And then he kind of stays and gives eye contact to mm -hmm. Jim and then turns and leaves as well. Um, right, so he doesn't he doesn't take any time to try to understand yeah. what's happening. Yeah. But instead instantly reacts and pretty much commands Pam to go. Yeah. Instead of even going with her and trying to talk to her. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that was a glimpse into his personality and their relationship that maybe he's more controlling yeah. than I've sort of given credence to. Uh, yeah. Cause we kind of see that when Pam gets back with Roy, mm -hmm. um, we see a little more insight to, I don't know. He always brings his brother with him right. to everything. And, uh, again, he's not he's not a very romantic type because if you think to the art show episode when he's like, your art was the best art. <laughs> of all the art. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, true. Yeah, he just doesn't have... Because honestly, Pam is a very hopeless romantic where she loves... It doesn't have to be all the time, but just... Uh, her significant other taking a moment to be like you are amazing and this is why I'm in love with you just like being reminded of why you know she's staying with this person mm -hmm. um, and I I definitely think I I wouldn't say Roy's like physically abusive but yeah, I, I feel like he's so. mentally yeah, at I least know. a little bit yeah where he, because, yeah, that's a very big insight of Pam knows that she has to do what he says. Yeah, she doesn't fight back at all or she give does. any kind of glances yeah. to say she doesn't want to do that. She just mm -hmm. automatically walks out. Yeah. And, again, going back to sort of what you were saying, that Roy 
is kind of passive in that area of romance. Yeah. And Pam is, is as well. And since no one's addressing it, I think the key to Roy is he probably needs a partner that is willing to call him out on his crap, yeah. you know, yeah. and say, look, you are not doing this. You need to step up your game. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine that's probably what happened in the later season when yeah. he gets married is that his partner was saying, okay, look, <laughs> the way you're acting to me is it's just not working. Yeah. So you need to shape up or we need to get out of this relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, if that's what happened, I imagine that it probably woke him up and he was willing to challenge himself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I also, sorry, I just had one more insight. Yeah. There was a deleted scene um, of Pam talking about the wave runners. Um, and she says that, yeah, Roy just thought it'd be a good idea to buy two wave runners. I thought we were saving up for our wedding, but <laughs> and so <laughs> again, it shows that Roy is more interested in going wave running with his brother. <laughs> and she even says, one of them was supposed to be for me, but he goes out with his brother a lot and they just race. <laughs> so <laughs> He definitely has like a brotherly love towards his brother that is unmatched to any girl that he's right. really been with. I'm glad they got out of that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess the B plot of this episode is Michael wanting to please the office, mm-hmm. which is basically every episode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is the first introduction to the party planning committee. Yes. We finally get to see it for the, the first time. Um, and I was rewatching it today, and I'd already noted on the newspaper clipping, but I actually read all of the stuff in the column. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> and it's like, I was reading it and I was like, oh, that's that's a funny gag towards, you know, this is just a prop that we need. So if you just write right. in these columns, then it looks like an actual newsletter. Yeah, I think it's worth, like if you're listening to this, I think it's worth looking it up and reading the column. Yeah. I think it's funny enough to. Yeah, definitely. But it's weird thinking of it in the context of the show as if that was actually the newspaper clipping huh. and it's like wait <laughs> oh yeah i didn't think about that this is too meta <laughs> they just have a template they just drop in yeah. their picture <laughs> and give a title i was also thinking of in the party planning committee like the first scene of them and they're talking about streamer colors mm-hmm. I thought it would have been more funny if Pam was wearing a green right. <laughs> shirt. <laughs> I know, because I always, I always thought that Angela said that green is whorish because Phyllis was wearing a green color, but that actually happens in a later season. I just had this confused. Because she says, like, uh, Phyllis suggests orange in a later episode, yeah. and I think Angela says the same thing. Uh, but orange is, like, a horrible color. Yeah. But, yeah, it is weird. And I wonder why she has already this almost hatred for Pam and anything that she suggests. I don't know. Maybe it kind of ties back to the office is noticing Jim's interest in her. So maybe she already thinks that they've slept with each other. Oh yeah. I could see that. And, and I guess she knows that Pam is in a relationship with Roy. And so she sees Pam flirting with Jim 
and she just despises that. Yeah, that's the only thing that I can think of. Makes sense. And if I'm remembering correctly in the fire episode, isn't she, or maybe it's Roy that comments on Angela. Oh yeah, it's when they're yeah when they're out in the parking lot, mm-hmm. and Roy's like that Christian chick yeah. or something. Yeah, it was just the thought that I had that maybe Angela is at least on surface level attracted to Roy. Yeah, there are other allusions to that uh-huh. as well. So that would make sense. So she is maybe almost a little jealous of Pam as well. Yeah, and feels like she's wasting what she has yeah. by flirting with Jim or mm-hmm. almost being unfaithful to Roy in some way. Yeah. Cause it's also kind of an underlying fact as well that Jim's kind of the slob uh-huh. of the office. Yeah. I'm thinking of when Michael kind of does an impression of him oh, yeah. and it's kind of like a surfer dude, <laughs> but everyone laughs and someone agrees that that is what he's like. <laughs> And I feel like Angela is one of those people that full-heartedly agrees with Michael's impression of Jim. Right. Um, so, yeah. I think it's almost a... At the very least, Pam has a good thing going, and why would she, I don't know, give that up? Even though I think it's just because Angela hasn't been faced with those things herself. Because I feel like with Angela's later timeline in the season, if she was going through that same thing at the same time as Pam, she'd have a lot more sympathy Mm -hmm. towards what she's going through. Because their timelines are very similar in a lot of ways. Like when she has to decide between Andy and Dwight? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, like when Andy is engaged to Angela and she's still sleeping with Dwight. just, yeah, yeah, but it's kind of weird how there is yeah. almost a similarity there. I don't know. I kind of... I don't know if it's intentional or if... It, it just makes me think they had this timeline with Jim and Pam and they're like, okay, that went super well, right. so let's just copy it two uh-huh. more times <laughs> with <laughs> Dwight and Angela and Michael and Holly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. That is sort of a, a common tool that they rely on. Yeah. Now that you look at it, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really against that. Yeah. I think if you have something that works, go with it. Yeah. I mean, they provide slight variations so that, you don't really pick up on it. Yeah, because Holly and her boyfriend aren't engaged. Right. They're just in That's a relationship. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there are differences to it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I've I've noticed that even before we've started the podcast that there's <laughs> there's three instances where it's basically the same kind of plot where the girl has kind of an interest in one of the guys uh-huh. and then it doesn't really work. That's weird, I've never noticed that. And they're with someone else and they really <laughs> want them back and they eventually do. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, that's cool. I never noticed that. Mm-hmm. Also, when they're in the planning party meeting, yeah. um, Angela shows more of a soft side with Phyllis when Phyllis suggests something that she doesn't really seem sure of. But Angela's like, no, I think that's a good idea. We could do streamers. Yeah. 
which is weird to hear her say something yeah. like that. She's like, oh, no, we're not doing streamers. Uh-huh. But to hear her give like a thoughtful response yeah. to something that she doesn't really like is weird. And it might just be a part of that still trying to figure out the characters in the yeah. first season. Yeah, because I don't want to totally disregard the characters that they built in the first season when we go back to them when we're later in the seasons but i would like to see if there's some kind of difference when she starts antagonizing phyllis Mm -hmm. i wonder if there's i don't know i feel like we'll have to actually watch the episodes to think about it because it's hard to really pinpoint when that starts happening because you just think it's been happening forever And that'll be fun to see how the dynamic changes. Yeah, because it might just be randomly, but I'm sure we can think of some I way bet, that yeah. it can we'll come up with pinpoint. Something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> even if it's just a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess we'll talk about the whole reason they're planning this party is because Michael wants to please the office, and so they decide to throw a party for the next person that has a birthday Mm -hmm. and when i was looking up office facts a while ago um it turns out that meredith's birthday has switched a bunch because in a later season uh when jim wants to do all those parties on the same it's birthday month Uh like that doesn't line up because meredith is included in that birthday month so so it's not the same yeah yeah someone did like all the research for when everyone's birthdays are i love how deep some people go it's great at least in this episode it is her birthday in a month (laughs) but it is ryan's birthday that's right it's also ryan's birthday yeah (laughs) i'm glad that the only person he confessed in is toby and he knows that he wouldn't say anything right that was funny that's the one person you can tell and he'll be like yeah i just i won't mention it (laughs) i know how everyone acts in the office i also wanted to talk about michael's whole uh character in this episode Mm -hmm. um i i don't know this isn't much to comment on but i just in the world that we live in now, it's funny to hear him compare himself to Donald I Trump. I know, it is really funny. And yeah. he says, all Donald Trump does is make people sad. <laughs> How true, those are like prophetic words. <laughs> that should have been a quote when the elections right. <laughs> results came in. <laughs> but yeah, it is funny to hear that now that he's the president. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> you fired. <laughs> and it's weird because Michael, there are other times... I, I'm trying to remember what episode it is, but it's when Michael's getting something in his cabinet in his office and he has a book by Donald Trump about business. Oh and it's God, just really? great, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> this is certainly someone that Michael looks to as a uh-huh. uh, like someone to work towards, I guess. It is weird, though, because for decades, Donald Trump has been the butt of jokes. Because I looked at a really old comedy special... Mm-hmm. And it was just like a short clip that someone posted on Twitter. Um, But it was this comedian like forever ago that commented on Donald Trump evicting people from their houses. And that was ages ago. So, you know, 
he's been this very antagonistic personality forever and for michael to be someone who at least compares himself to him like i don't know michael just doesn't seem the type who would even want to associate his personality with his because even if he's not outwardly or at least the public isn't known of all of the horrible stuff that he's talked about or done like michael wants to be so loved and cherished it's very odd to want to be associated with someone who's the butt of jokes you know yeah and it is kind of like he's he is that but he doesn't want to be and yet he compares himself to being someone that is kind of antagonistic and not particularly pleasant (laughs) but i could see michael would just see all the money that he has yeah and that's probably the main thing that he's attracted to is seeing that because even he himself admits that you know donald trump just makes people sad yeah so yeah but i think he definitely sees that this man has a lot of money and i want to figure out how he has money so that one day i can be a great philanthropist it's there's just so many other people you could (laughs) (laughs) but you know whatever whatever makes him happy yeah just all the other stuff that he does throughout the episode Mm -hmm. uh to like he wants ice cream cake and he doesn't care <laughs> that <laughs> Meredith's lactose intolerant. If I was allergic to dairy, I think I'd kill myself. <laughs> so it's more like a me party. Yeah. And that's kind of what every party turns True. into. But he wants to be the best note on the card. And as I was rewatching it, I was like, he wrote three pages of different things to write on yeah, the card. Rough yeah. Because I noticed how many... I've always noticed that he had papers in his hand, but I never noticed that there were three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of funny how much... I'm convinced that he spent his entire day trying to come up with jokes. Oh, yeah. Because that was another thing. Like, I'm always just... How much work does Michael actually do? I I don't think he does very much. Yeah. Gives his main... Probably a lot of his main responsibilities to Dwight... And then signs things. Yeah. And maybe makes a few decisions or sales calls. But I just, I'm baffled by how much time he spends on the nonsense yeah. in the office. <laughs> if you, I don't know, if you follow the timeline where he gets into work at like five in the morning, mm-hmm. maybe he's productive during that time. Could be. He just does all of his work before work starts. And then he's... Then he just plays around yeah. the rest of the day. <laughs> That's true. That could be true. I don't know. I'm trying to give him a little more credit, but I don't think there's that much more credit that you can give him because he really doesn't do much. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised he hasn't been fired. Yeah. Just on that alone. As for, like, just his productivity. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of talked about it before, and I think it's just he's giving them numbers, so it doesn't matter <laughs> um and i also wanted to talk about i wanted to talk like 
go into a bit of a deep dive on this little comment that he says when I think it's when the party's wrapping up and someone just says, this is a great party. And then immediately Michael's like, this isn't my fault. (laughs) Just like comes out of him. Yeah. And I just, I'm trying to pinpoint where he has that instinct Mm. to just always claim that immediately it isn't his fault. Yeah. Because I really don't think he has siblings. So, and I feel like he was coddled as a child. So, I don't know. Yeah, where did this get built into his personality? Mm -hmm. He would automatically, like, default the blame to someone else. Yeah. I don't know. All I can think of is Jan. Mm. But it also doesn't come off as, I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of where exactly this would fit maybe with teachers probably teachers yeah that could be yeah i I was thinking of when he's saying try to concentrate in class when someone's making this fart noise you know he's like just try to concentrate and he's making (laughs) just made me think of that yeah it's probably how he acted in school (laughs) yeah yeah it was probably definitely with his classroom etiquette <laughs> but yeah i just found it interesting how quickly he went around to say this isn't my fault i had no part in this yeah it could also have to do with his desire not to be associated with anything that is failing yeah or that his employees would view as negative because mm-hmm. he only wants to be seen in a positive light so if it's because his whole goal in this episode was to lighten up the mood in the office. And his main goal in writing the best joke was to make everybody laugh so much they forget about downsizing. And they're like, oh my gosh, Michael, you're such a good boss. You told this amazing joke and we forgot about our problems. It's so weird, though, how the joke that he decided to write <laughs> is about downsizing. That's so true. <laughs> This will help them get rid of their worries. It's about the very thing I'm trying to make them forget. (laughs) Yeah, why did you go with that one? I don't know. (laughs) The extent of what we know about Michael, when I heard all the comments that he wrote, I'm just like, that's not even the worst that he could have done. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because... Even I was kind of like, oh, that's, it's not super funny, but it's a clever joke about a situation that they're dealing with right now. Mm -hmm. And then other people did jokes about Meredith changing her age. Like Jim was like, you're an accountant, you can fudge the numbers. Uh It's also weird because I never really thought that Meredith was an accountant. I don't really know what she does. That's weird that she is. Is she, wait, she is an accountant? This is confirmed. Is that what they say? Well, Jim writes in the card right. that you're an accountant, just fudge the numbers. Yeah, that's weird, because I've always thought of just Kevin, Oscar, and Angela. Yeah, that's the desk clump. And in later seasons, they never mention her being an accountant. Right. Which, again, is just they're trying to figure out uh-huh. positions. But then I'm thinking, what does Meredith do? Yeah, what does she do? 
in the later seasons because we we even know that creed is like quality care um but i don't know what meredith does <laughs> yeah i don't know that's weird <laughs> what know. does she do she just is designated solitaire <laughs> player <laughs> yeah. yeah in the later seasons they never approach her with account issues when holly is being walked around they don't introduce meredith to holly oh, weird they're like this is the accountant clump and they don't mention meredith in that well in that ethical episode when Meredith is having sex oh, in exchange yeah. for steak gift cards. Uh-huh. She was meeting with a supplier or something. I don't know. So yeah. what would that so be? She... <laughs> Maybe she's in charge of like sourcing supplies. Yeah, they're the middleman. Right. So maybe that's her job. That could be. Is Creed's quality care and she sources the materials or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. That's the only thing I could yeah. think of. Yeah, that that makes sense. Because I can't think of any other time where they've mentioned what she does. Yeah. So, <laughs> I guess if you want to think of it in a timeline sense, they just moved Meredith over to supplying stuff <laughs> instead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe they had to move her over because in season two, they fire that one guy yeah. i don't even remember his name so maybe she had to take over his position that's yes. my theory yes. <laughs> we'll say that that's it <laughs> oh yeah that, well just in this episode we see we've seen it in previous episodes but i feel like it's highlighted a little more just the small little conversations that jim and pam have mm-hmm. um and i i'm blanking on what they're talking about i guess it doesn't really matter but I just wonder how important it is to establish small pieces of nuance in between two characters to imply what's happening between them. I mean, I'm not a professional screenwriter, but I have my fair share of at least the beginnings of it. So at the very least, I can kind of wrap my head around the beginnings of writing this show because i'm kind of in the same boat i guess you could call it Mm -hmm. um i mean the main thing that you want to establish between characters is exactly what their relationship was like and when you're showing these kind of not pointless scenes but they kind of feel pointless to you on a conscious level but I think if you're just showing these little tidbits of exactly what they do, um, it subconsciously kind of tells you that this is what's going on. Because a lot of screenwriting and just writing in general is you're showing and not telling. Where I'm... I kind of want to talk about this more in the next episode, but I'll just kind of brush on it right now. It's just the office is very clever with their editing Mm -hmm. and they subconsciously put in your mind and you might even notice it, but 
it's still pointed out whether you know it or not is that Jim wants Pam and wants her to be impressed by you know these things that he thinks is impressive and he wants her to be impressed with it as well right and they do that with like all the characters where it's just they have these tidbits where they do tell you specifically what they're thinking and what's going on Mm -hmm. but that's not the whole show because they could just do a lot more interviews and not make it super situational and instead just have them more so talk about what's going on but that wouldn't be fun exactly what's happening yeah that wouldn't be fun for a viewer because uh yeah you're just hearing what's going on and i think that's why some people aren't as interested in documentary types is because they're mostly just telling you exactly what's happening that's true or what has happened and unless it's an intriguing story we don't care right it's a lot like if you're explaining to someone else what happened in your dream it's like no one cares about that yeah unless it happened to you <laughs> because we don't know what went through your mind and and what that dream really felt like or yeah um and that's another thing is because we're just hearing this blabber of like a dream it it doesn't it just feels like information yeah instead of and you need to incorporate those visuals and feelings for it to play out and i think that applies a lot to screenwriting as well Mm. where you need to express visuals and the emotions of something happening rather than just telling you this is what happened um yeah so that's a lot of I mean, yeah, it just, it plays a lot into establishing their characters later on. It's just, they have a lot, because it's uh, showing exactly what happens in the day-to-day office of that episode. And they cut to people just typing or, you know, people having conversations. And the thing that they wanted to showcase is Jim takes a break from his work and goes and talks to Pam. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it just tells us that, you know, they, they take time out of their day to stop what they're doing and talk to each other. That's true. That isn't on a professional level. Yeah. That's a good point. When you think of it um, from the perspective of the viewer and what you want the viewer to understand about the characters, Mm -hmm it is important to establish those small little pieces that speak to the viewer subconsciously about what's happening and this sort of inner dialogue that's going on. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't think of what Jim and Pam were talking about, but I remember the smiles that they have on their faces. So I, I know on a instinctual level that they make each other happy and it's these kind of like joyous smiles that you don't really see Mm -hmm. anywhere else in the show and so i think it makes you as a as a viewer want to root for jim and pam yeah definitely and i think that goes for basically anything that you're watching is you need to have someone 
that can express facially how they're feeling. And I think that's why a big reason why the office works so well is because people can just give a quick glance to something. Um, And I believe it was this episode where Jim is looking down at an interview part and he was just like, she's so perfect or what did he say he just says like she's so great because yeah. he he's basically saying that yeah she's she, so great she goes along with the pranks yeah and before that clip cuts he like gets out of his head and he looks towards the door mm. um and that just tells you so much about this feeling that he has is he's just he feels this raw emotion and then he's like you you shouldn't be feeling this and then he looks towards the door to make sure that no one else heard Mm -hmm. this confession and and it's not reality yeah but yeah just those tiny little glances that people do whether it's just looking towards the camera with just this dull face or you know these insightful moments where they're scared of having these emotions being broadcasted or at one point heard by someone else in the office it's yeah it's jarring for them yeah yeah it does it it, they're a lot more weightier than you'd give them Mm -hmm. credit for yeah Uh, they provide a lot more to the sort of the i don't know the landscape of the episode yeah and that's why i think it works so well because even if we don't notice it we've still feel it um and it doesn't even matter what they're talking about because we can just understand kind of what they're going through and we don't even need to hear them say it yeah that's awesome yeah so i think that's going to be it for this episode of the alliance and next episode we're talking about basketball yeah basketball (laughs) so yeah see you next episode